If you're looking for something to do this May 30th through June 2nd, why don't you join us at CrimeCon in Nashville, Tennessee? We can all rub elbows with people like John Walsh, John Douglas, and Chris Hansen. Come and visit Murder in the Rain on Podcast Row, where we'll be sitting next to some of our own favorite podcasts. You can get 10% off your tickets by using code RAIN at checkout at CrimeCon.com. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. And when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out and choose more styles. Like many of you, my personal style has evolved over the years. But if I want to try something new, sometimes it's hard to know what pieces will work for me. Rather than going to the mall for hours or spending too much money on pieces I might not like, Armoire allows me to rent high-quality designer clothes for any occasion. I can try styles I never considered before without worrying about the store's return policy, like a pair of faux leather pants for my new band. Of course, all of this sounds great, but what's even better is that it's a woman-founded business. You benefit from finding the perfect outfits, all while supporting a business that was built by women just like us. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murder in the rain. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murder in the rain, one word, to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This episode originally aired on our Patreon. We will be back with brand new episodes soon. Thank you for your patience as Josh heals from heart surgery. This is Murder in the Rain, where each week Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough tell true crime stories of the Pacific Northwest. Murder in the Rain contains graphic content Listener discretion is advised. Well, the Patreon polls are in, and it looks like quite a few of you are interested in hearing some medical murder stories. Unfortunately, slash fortunately, there are far too many cases of medical murder, so I'll have no issue creating episodes for you. So without further ado, this is the case known as Death Shift. In the early 1980s, a few hospital nurses and doctors at Bear County Medical Center noticed that patients in the pediatric intensive care were dying at an incredibly accelerated rate. They suffered seizures, stopped breathing, some had their hearts completely shut down, and others would bleed uncontrollably after being given a shot or IV. A nurse by the name of Susanna Maldonado put together a list of all of the patients that died between January of 1981 and March of 1982. What she noticed is that most of the deaths happened during one single shift, the 3 to 11 nursing shift. 
She went to her supervisor to share this information, and within a few days, a note was put in her mailbox that said, you're dead. By this time, nurses had already given the shift a nickname, the death shift. There was one person that worked that shift most often and was charged with caring for the majority of the patients on the list. It just so happened her handwriting also matched the note in Susanna's mailbox. Her name was Janine Jones. Janine Jones was adopted by Dick and Gladys Jones, making her the third of their eventual four children. The couple were successful nightclub owners, which afforded them a comfortable lifestyle, but the family suffered a terrible accident when Janine was just a teenager. Her 14-year-old brother Travis was building a pipe bomb in the workshop when it accidentally exploded and killed Travis within moments. I have no idea why he was building a pipe bomb, but it's devastating nonetheless. Travis and Janine were very similar in age and were best friends, so this was a truly catastrophic moment in her life. About a year later, her father died from cancer, leaving her heartbroken yet again. Janine turned to the comfort of her boyfriend, Jimmy Delaney. The pair got engaged when she was 17 years old and married just after her 18th birthday. Within a matter of months, Jimmy joined the Navy and had to move to another state. Once Jimmy returned, they ended up having a son named Richard. The pair wasn't together long after that, but according to some of Janine's friends, she began telling them that she was having affairs with married men while her husband was away. Whether it was caused by infidelity, their young age, or just growing apart, the pair divorced after four years of marriage. They then went their separate ways, but ended up rekindling their romance briefly three years after their divorce, and this resulted in their daughter named Heather. The two children, Richard and Heather, were actually raised by Janine's mother, and this is said to be because she never wanted to be a mom. Despite her mother caring for them, she still saw them regularly and contributed money by finding a job as a beautician in a hospital near San Antonio. Side note, I have never heard of a salon inside of a hospital, so I did some Google research, and apparently it's a big thing, and it's because they wanted to increase mental health at hospitals, and that makes total sense. Because so, like, it, patients can go down yeah. and get their hair done if they've been stuck in a exactly. hospital bed for a month. So you're, like, a long-term care patient. Cool. You can have some normalcy getting your hair done every week. Yeah, that's cool. During her time working as a beautician, Janine developed an allergy to the product she was using. So she eventually left that line of work. However, while she worked in the hospital beauty salon, she developed an appreciation for doctors. This is what led her to decide to get training in nursing. Within a year, Janine had training as a vocational nurse and was hired at San Antonio Methodist Hospital. For some background, a vocational nurse is not the same thing as a registered nurse or a nurse practitioner. They have slightly less training, around one year in Janine's case. And typically, they work under the supervision of an RN or a doctor. They do have to pass an exam to get certified, so it's not like they just willy-nilly, but they just don't have the responsibilities that a nurse would have. Janine's tenure at San Antonio Methodist didn't last long. She was fired after eight months of working there due to assaulting a patient. And unfortunately, I don't have the details on what that assault was. Despite this situation, she had enough support from colleagues to get referrals, and she was able to get a job at Bear County Medical Center in late 1978. 
Now let's fast forward to 1982. The PICU was in the middle of a major spike in pediatric deaths. People are talking and everyone knows something is off about Janine. They're also noticing that large amounts of heparin and anecdine are going missing. These aren't drugs that have any street value, so it took a while for people to even notice that they were going missing. Heparin is a blood thinner, and it's used to prevent and treat blood clots. Anecdine is used to relax the muscles and most often used as a general anesthetic. For example, it may be used before intubation so that the patient's relaxed as they're inserting the tube. Like I said, these drugs have little street value. They don't notice them missing until they start investigating the list of kids that nurse Susanna brings to her boss. They then find that a bunch of heparin bottles have needle punctures and it's been diluted with water. Rumors are flying that Janine is the reason the death shift exists, but she continues working for some time. Apparently, the head nurse really liked her and would actively work to silence the rumors, essentially saying it's hearsay. It's hearsay. Couldn't hurt to look into it for a second. You Maybe really save so. some babies and clear your friend's name. Mm-hmm. Despite that, Dr. James Robotham follows up on Nurse Susanna's claims and he validates that her numbers are correct. Kids are more than 10 times more likely to die if they're in Janine's care. He also figured out that CPR events were 25 times more likely to occur if she was working. He then sent this information to the hospital board and she was arrested. Just kidding. The hospital had some legal issues recently and they didn't want to face another lawsuit over Janine or over the pediatric deaths in general. Dr. Robotham was suspended, though. So while for he for reporting it. Yep. Well, there might be more to it, but that's what I'm my takeaway is. He probably like looked at a file he didn't have access to or something. Yeah, it, it gets worse. So anyway, he's suspended and he goes to a friend, another doctor, and he's like, can you please watch Janine while I'm out? Something is up with her. The deaths are still on the rise and the doctor and several nurses come together and they go to the board again. This time they were able to make progress. But rather than remove Janine and, you know, call the cops, instead, they decide to massively change the entire pediatric ward. They overhaul it to make a rule that no vocational nurses can work in the ward, only registered nurses and nurse practitioners. This means that Janine and a number of other people no longer qualify to work there. But no charges are pressed. Because if we say Janine was the person that killed these babies, it's gonna be we're going to get sued. If we fire her and we don't say why or we accuse her of that, we'll get sued. So instead of saving lives or we're protecting gonna fire anyone, all these people. we're going to protect our own asses. Ooh, I'm yeah, on fire on this rough. one. <gasps> Janine goes on to get a job at a private clinic in Kerrville, Texas, thanks to a doctor she had previously worked with. Like before, there's a spike in the number of pediatric emergencies at the nearby hospital, particularly in patients that come from the Kerrville Private Clinic. Dr. Holland, the owner of the Kerrville Clinic and Janine's boss, also notices that they are running out of heparin and anecdine faster than usual. These are kept in a supply closet and only her and one other person have a key to it. And who do you think that is? Hmm. Janine, Shocking. of course. Dr. Holland starts to wonder, is there correlation between these missing doses and the spike in seizures at the hospital? 
But rather than report her suspicions, she just keeps them to herself. She does revoke Janine's access to the medicine closet, but and like keeps an eye on her. But that's it. Nobody knows anything. Now, she goes on to regret this because a 15 month old patient named Chelsea McClellan dies. Chelsea came into the practice for an MMR shot. And right after receiving the shot from Janine, she had a seizure. The seizure led to cardiac arrest, and she was taken by ambulance to the hospital. And lo and behold, Janine climbs into the ambulance with her, and Chelsea is pronounced dead at the time she arrived. Uh, MMR as in just the vaccine that yes. everyone has had. Measles, mumps, rubella. rubella yeah. yeah. Dr. Holland confronted Janine about Chelsea's death, basically bringing up her suspicions that all the kids are suddenly sick. And all Janine has to say is, well, they're in shock when they're here. So I give them a muscle relaxer to help. So she basically is admitting she's dosing them. Right. Right. But she continues to work there. That alone, you could lose all your licensure to be giving medication without a doctor's approval or request from the patient. Now, I think this is a very short time frame that this particular incident is happening. But still, you continuing to let her work there. She's no longer accessing medicine. I don't think she's injecting like, and to, shots. And then riding in the ambulance like she wanted to watch. Yeah, it's creepy. Ooh. So meanwhile, as this is going on, the Bear County Medical Center is still investigating what had happened. This is on the down low. No, but this isn't in the media or anything. They reviewed 47 suspicious deaths over the four year period that Janine worked there. A similar investigation followed in Kerrville because eight healthy babies from Janine's clinic had to be hospitalized. The findings from both investigations pointed to the babies being injected with heparin or anecdine. By February of 1983, a San Antonio grand jury finally decided to investigate Janine for the deaths at her previous hospital and investigate both Janine and Dr. Holland for their role in Chelsea's death in Kerrville. While they began gathering evidence for that, Chelsea's parents also filed a lawsuit, of course, thank God. Yeah. In May of 1983, Janine was indicted on two counts of the murder of Chelsea. Dr. Holland made a deal. In exchange for her testimony against Janine, she was granted full immunity for her blatant disregard of the health of her patients. They ended up exhuming Chelsea's body to run tests to prove the accusations, and they did show that her tissue was positive for the muscle relaxer anecdine. By the time November of 1983 rolls around, Janine is indicted again. This time, it's for the attempted murder of Rolando Santos. Rolando was four weeks old when he was brought into Bear County Medical Center to be treated for pneumonia. He was in the hospital for two days, and the staff was seeing massive improvement. Then all of a sudden, he suffered a cardiopulmonary arrest. Janine Jones was the nurse caring for him. She administered CPR and revived him. And again, over the next two days, he improved. And then suddenly he had a massive diuresis, which means his kidneys were filtering too often, resulting in fluid and body weight loss. Yet again, Janine Jones was the nurse caring for him. He was put on a ventilator and started improving as soon as she finished her shift. Again, baby Rolando runs into problems. This time he had internal bleeding. At this point, a physician takes over because he has his suspicions about Janine. 
He ran some tests and found that Rolando had major amounts of heparin in his system and it should not have been administered to him. The doctor later testified that there was no way that it was a miscalculation and that it was intentional. And I cannot believe that the that they had this information back then and didn't prosecute. Yeah. And I have to imagine the doctor went to the board and the board knew what happened, but mm-hmm. they were still protecting their own ass. Oh, yeah, because it's everything. It's that they uh, kept shuffling her around, that they allowed her to be there once they realized something was off, once they had proof that medicine was missing, that they gave her access to things. I mean, why wouldn't you move her out of peak you into something less hands on? If you really wanted to keep it quiet. Yeah. Like at least remove her from the situation. And also if you actually gave a crap about protecting your patients. And not money. Right. What we learned once charges were brought against Janine for these two cases is pretty gnarly. So if you can't handle violence against children and you made it this far, you may want to skip ahead 35 seconds or so. Janine was injecting these little bodies with major doses of drugs that they didn't need. The heparin doses resulted in the babies bleeding out from all of their orifices. The anecdine would suffocate them because it's meant for, for when you're intubated. So their their throat relaxed. is collapsing. Okay, yeah. She would administer a dose and sit and watch the baby suffer. Once they coded, she would start CPR, sometimes reviving them again and doing it all over again. It was said that she would, quote, mourn over them for hours, cradling them in her arms before taking them to the morgue. It's truly sick. That's a level of depravity that's like beyond. You're playing God. Yeah. With little tiny newborns. That's. Mm -mm. Jones was convicted of murdering Chelsea on Valentine's Day of 1984. By May, she was sentenced to 99 years in prison. Then in October of that same year, she was convicted of injuring Rolando Santos, who somehow survived his ordeal. She was sentenced to another 60 years in prison. These sentences were to be served, Miley's favorite thing, concurrently. Due to a change in Texas law, Jones was set to be released in 2018. Luckily, in the summer of 2017, the Bear County District Attorney indicted her on five additional murders. These were from 1981 and 1982. So even though she was technically released on March 1st of 2018, she was immediately booked on new charges. These were for the murders of eight-month-old Richard Nelson on July 3rd, 1981, two-year-old Rosemary Vega on September 16th, 1981, three-month-old Paul Viriel on September 24th, 1981, 11-month-old Joshua Sawyer on December 12th, 1981, and four-month-old Patrick Zavala on January 17th, 1982. That makes me wonder if prosecutors knew that there was a possibility of um, her being released. So maybe they held on to it. Like, let's build the biggest case we can and then take our swing when that happens so we can assure her being where she can't hurt people. Jones pled guilty to the murder of Joshua Sawyer in a plea with prosecution in January of 2020. This extended her sentence for at least 20 more years, but she is eligible for parole in 2037 should she be alive. 
Considering that would put her at the ripe old age of 87 years old, many people are confident she will die in prison. But there was a study in 2016 by Professor Christopher Wildman that basically says, yes, prisoners have poorer health and a shorter life expectancy. However, the average decrease of life was just 2.6 years. So there is a chance she will live to see her parole. And I'm not sure what happened with the indictment of all the other children. And I'm guessing since she pled guilty for Joshua, they dropped them or maybe they are holding them in the event. Yeah, or maybe that was part of the plea that they just said, we'll only do the one. The plea for Joshua's death allowed Jones to continue to have her right to appeal her sentence, which she ultimately did. Her claim was that her right to a speedy trial was violated due to her being indicted for a 30-year-old murder. But, like, that's how it works. There's no statute of limitation on first-degree murder. Oh, sorry, did that upset you? Maybe you shouldn't have killed a bunch of babies, you psycho monster. Her appeal was, of course, denied because the right to a speedy trial only pertains to after you are indicted for a crime, not, not from when you did it. Right. What an argument. You guys took forever to catch me. <laughs> I get to get off on this one. Thanks. Her legal team then tried to switch it up and say she was prevented from a fair trial. Again, this was dismissed because the court said there was just no reasoning for it. It's believed that Janine caused far more deaths. There were at least 10 that authorities suspected. But in 1984, Bear County Medical Center shredded 9,000 pages of records. Around that same time that they shredded them, the grand jury subpoenaed for those records. So obviously they were destroyed so they could never receive them. And I'm guessing there was a huge punishment for the hospital doing that. To documents that would have been needed for legal reasons. The hospital somehow avoided prosecution for destroying evidence and covering up Janine's crimes. I can't believe it. I'm shocked. Yeah. So not covering her crimes, covering their asses. Yeah. But as a result, covering her crimes. So what's interesting is in the 2018 case when they when they finally were going to take her to trial They claimed that the reason she did this was she was hearing voices and that's why she killed the babies like it was telling her to. But I think when you look at everything that she did, she's like 100 percent attention seeking. It's almost like Munchausen's. Right. Well, and Munchausen's by proxy. I guess. Yeah. And you kind of think, too, um, there's something there. The fact that she didn't raise her kids and didn't want to be. A parent. And then I think, was she protecting them? Like, does she know she had these desires? Because as far as I know, they were never in danger from her. They never were hurt. Right. But I just mean, was were, were her victims, were these babies like the recipients of her transference? Oh. You know, of I'm looked at as a bad person or I'm a bad mom because I don't want these stupid kids or, you know, if that's where she was thinking. Yeah. And then it's like, well, none of you get to have your kids. I don't know about that because... I see it different than just plain old murdering because what she's doing is murdering is killing them and then resuscitating them. Right. So that she can get this like be the hero. Well, but it could be connected because she didn't have control with her kids, you know, of just like now now she doesn't raise them even if she didn't want them. So it's like I I would think that she was conflicted in that maybe even just Mm. minutely to where 
that that anger or those feelings or something had to get that's so methodical though and the premeditation and the getting the medication this yeah. isn't what's his butt walking down the street going my neighbor's dog told me to shoot people like yeah. this is someone going to work other than notably stealing drugs and killing children didn't cause a ruckus at work you know people, some people really liked her yeah you have people defending her so people writing letters of recommendation it's hard to imagine that this person is like and then she sees a baby and then it's like you but know, then you, oh, you talk to her you. friends and um, basically when they were saying that when when she was cheat, she claimed she was cheating on her husband while he was in, oh, okay. in not in combat, but he was like in training oh, uh -huh. or whatever. They said it in a way that they didn't believe her because her entire life she's told lies. Um, so they're they're basically saying that when she was little, she lied to be the center of attention and that this is just an extension of that. Yeah, I just don't know. There's so many. And she's she's never said what her reasoning was. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen anything about that. I mean, I you know this again. This was a mini, so I didn't dive right, too deep. Right. Um, I haven't looked to see if there's like interviews with her. But from what I could tell, there weren't. That's just such a the cruelty of it because it's not only babies. You're in a hospital. You you are supposed to be seen as the safe person in the safe place. It's like she's and... living on the edge too. You're in a hospital. You think you'd be under a microscope. Right. Especially in the peak you. But this is the 80s. I mean, this is literally when you and I are being born. And babies were being switched all the time. Babies were mixed stolen. up. And it's funny to think like, oh yeah, technology's changed a lot. But it's not just like um, the tangible technology of like, wow, that ultrasound machine is really fancy. It's like, Babies get scanned now every time they leave the room. Mm -hmm. Every bottle of medicine gets scanned. Every, yeah, I mean, true. the food gets scanned. Everything is scanned well, so and that they your documents they let are the marked. mom dictate. Now, uh, I just was watching TikTok, of course, <laughs> and there was this woman who has like a, a maybe a 13 month old. So she was talking about her birth experience and how they had very strong feelings about that baby will never leave the room. Once mm -hmm. I have her, she will always be here. And they had a nurse come in who was like, no, I have to take her for her bath. And she's like, there's a sink right here. You can do it. No, I have to take her. Well, they told me I was allowed to say the baby is not going to leave the room. So can my husband go with you? No, I don't do that. Uh, and it was just and, like in this day and age, yeah. just listen to her, man. Yeah. Like, there was that nurse that came out and said admitted to switching 5,000 babies over the course of her life as a nurse. <sighs> All these children out there are not by when well, maybe she could have been lying. Right. Switching at birth was apparently a big thing. It's happened a lot. Wow. And they just get payouts over it. Right. And most of them don't switch back. Right. Oh, yeah. How could you? It's like, yeah, you've already bonded with your child. So, I mean, yeah, I just, I, I can't wrap my head around. I find it almost easier to uh, not necessarily understand, but maybe see how someone can get to being a serial killer or something. I can understand that more than I can understand someone who would seek out the education and the skills and the abilities required to go into a f in a field where all you have to do is be helpful and safe I and, I, and take I feel care of people. Like what happened is it happened once on accident and then she liked it. But just in general, I mean, this this case, the this baby switching, like all of that. It's like, yeah. how do you get how do you get drawn to something that is so equally about caretaking and caregiving, and be even well, more how so like a monster? How do child molesters find themselves as teachers and priests? Yeah, I guess so. You know, you, you're, drawn you're drawn to, drawn to the opportunity. 
Oof. That's and the ambulance. That's really upsetting. Very upsetting. And but I'm like, I am pissed that they didn't prosecute that doctor who knowingly let her continue. They are working. all just as culpable. The hospitals. They are all the only good. People a different kind of evil. Doctor Rothahemahema or whatever his name was, and Nurse Susanna who actually tried to do something about this. Doctor Holland, no relation. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't really Eventually, that. you know. Anyway, there's another medical one. I will bring another one soon. I can speak from being in the hospital, and I imagine the assault probably had to do with a patient not liking sorbet, and then <laughs> and then her like cramming it in her face. There was a patient that, there that I was could screaming about vividly. Yeah see in my mind <laughs> there was a person across from me going pain 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 <laughs> and complaining about the sorbet bye are you serious <laughs> oh boy for days yeah three of the six days i was there i had to hear her going pain 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 oh god pain oh i don't like this sorbet oh huh. that's so sad murder in the rain is a cascade media production Written and hosted by Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough. Edited by Josh McCullough. You can always contact us at murderintherain at gmail.com or through our website, murderintherain.com. If you just can't get enough of Murder in the Rain, for as little as $5 a month, you'll have exclusive access to bonus episodes at patreon.com. You can find us on all of the socials, and for more true crime, follow at M underscore Murder in the Rain on TikTok, and you can also listen to Alicia and Josh on their other show, Always Be My Sisters. And suck my balls.